for all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass. This podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. Mic check, one, two, one, two. Prince and Parker's on the mic, so what you gonna do? Hey. <laughs> What's up? What it is? What it do? How you feel? Who you with? Uh. <laughs> it's so good uh, to have you joining me again. If you don't know, for some reason, my name is Prince and Parker. And as always, I want to thank God for life and love. And I want to thank you for listening. Y'all, I just be liking to clown for no reason. And half the time, the beauty of it is, the astounding beauty of many of the jokes that I make is that, is that oftentimes I'm the only one who's laughing. And uh, that's the brilliant part. Like, you probably did not laugh at that. You're probably just like, whoa, can you just do the preaching thing? Because <laughs> all this extra is super corny. But that's my style. Ain't nobody mad but the devil. That's what we say in church. <laughs> People do be mad, though. People be, like, really hurt when you don't laugh at their jokes. But I'm pretty okay with it. I just kind of understand that, like, my funny is, like, church funny, extra funny, sometimes culture funny. Sometimes I'm pretty funny about the culture. And then, like, silly funny, where you're like, what? Like, why? <laughs> I was that kid that was just would just, like, tap you on your shoulder for no reason. You was like, what? Hi. <laughs> That's really my brother. My brother still does. Lord Jesus. Anyway, I'm glad that for whatever reason you decided to press play on this podcast, my hope is that it's going to be a blessing to you. And I'm just so glad to be back in the swing of sharing content. And so hopefully you were blessed by the last episode, which was talking about stir it up, stir it up, stir it up, mm, 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 mm. stir it up, stir it up. Mm, mm, mm. Anyway, I told you. Uh, <laughs> I hope you were blessed by that. I'm going to bring you another sermon again. I literally, what a wonder cleaning your room is because I've been stumbling upon these old sermons where I'm like, whoa, okay, word, okay, you better teach. And um, it has really been like, I, I think it's interesting because when I'm preparing to preach something, it comes out of a very personal place. But then once that sermon is sort of birthed, it, it, it gets kind of like, put away like on to the next thing. And so sometimes it's interesting because when I revisit these sermons, I revisit the place in life that they were birthed out of and it causes me to sort of measure and track my own progress. And so I hope you're able to do the same by listening to these sermons that were from the beginning of the year, but really allow us to have a point of reflection as we look at how did I do with this this year and how did I do with and how do I intend to handle this next year? So we're going to talk about temptation. <laughs> All of us have one to 19 million temptations, whether we are trying to keep ourselves against the what the Bible talks about and describes as sin, that which directly goes against God. Or even if we're not dealing with necessarily quote unquote sins per se, but just things that aren't healthy for us. And so all of us are facing a number of temptations. And in this, I unpack what temptation is and how we can deal with it. Enough of me clowning around. Let's get to some real meat. I want to take you into this sermon again from the beginning of the year. It's called Find the Escape Route. I almost called it a different sermon. That's awkward. Find the Escape Route. (laughs) And uh, I hope this blesses you. I'll be back to talk some more at the end of this. All right. We're going to go to the word of God today. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here in the house of the Lord. Let's spend some time in this. Set it up by letting you know that what you adapt as far as knowledge will sustain you when the conditions are not right. Okay? Life will change. Circumstances will change. People will change. Relationships will change. Health 
will change. Money will change. What cannot change is what you know about God. Our biggest fight that we face is not a battle of what we have and don't have. It's what we know and don't know. What we know will inform to what degree we can believe. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. But in the unpacking of faith, it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God transmits into knowledge, which then becomes the currency for my faith. That's why even Paul said it is important that my zeal be according to what? Knowledge. It's not enough for me to be excited because that excitement is temporary. That excitement is tied to a condition. It's tied to where I am right now. Paul says that it is important that that zeal be according to what I know. Why? Because what I know that has been put in me by the word of God will not change. I want to prepare you in the scriptures in the way that the Lord has been preparing me about what we know regarding temptation. Because I believe that 2019 is going to be an incredible year. Wherever there is something on the horizon, Satan has a strategy to not thwart the situation, but to thwart or to offend or to distract the person who God is doing that for. Satan's desire is not our stuff. His desire is not our positions. His desire is not our families or our marriage. His ultimate desire is that he can have revenge against God by claiming God's creation. Can I set that up for you again? Satan's desire, his quest in the process of temptation, in the process of what he wants to do, is to get revenge against God by thwarting, by distracting, by dismantling his creation. Why is that? You remember the story. Satan once had a different position. Before he was Satan, the Bible records, it explains this to us in Isaiah, that Satan had a very interesting position in heaven. He had an amazing position in heaven. He was uh, not just the worship leader, he was worship. What does that mean? Isaiah helps us understand that Satan was interesting in that his created being, the angelic body that was given to him, had instruments built within it. Imagine how wonderful and how majestic it would have been that every breath he took was melodious. Imagine that when Satan and his angelic body were to take a breath, if breathing was a heavenly concept, every time he inhaled and exhaled, three, six, nine, twelve, and eighteen part harmonies came out of his chest because he was worshipped. In the direction that he looked, he was able to look one way and angels responded in worship. He was able to say one thing and angels responded in worship. He had the power, watch this, to unite all of heaven under the name and the power and the glory of God. Not only was it something that he was worshipped, but it was something that whatever was in him was powerful enough to unite all the created angelic beings around him to worship. He was worship. He was unity. He was creativity. That God knew that the worship in heaven would continue to go forth to his liking because he had assigned one specific angel to be in charge of it. But the danger is that there was a moment in Satan where he realized that the worship was going through him, but he wanted it to go to him. Satan's frustration with his situation is that uh, there is something that I am being used to do that I am not the beneficiary of. You, You must be careful when you desire to be the target of what God sent through you. You must be careful when you no longer want to be the conduit, but you want to be the recipient. It, it is a dangerous thing, and Satan now is in a position where he says, I, I don't like being the vessel. I want to be the one being honored because he has this gift. Remember, he has this gift of unity, but the moment his pride entered, he became one of the most divisive figures in all of history. See the flip here. Before his pride, He unified all of heaven after his pride. He led heaven to its first and only recorded war, 
he begins to use this same coercive power, this same unifying power, this same persuasive power to convince all the other angels, you do understand that we don't have to do this. Well, what do you mean they're in heaven? Well, even these angels are created with this degree of choice, this ability to say, it is my desire to be here. It is my desire to worship God. The Bible says that in this recording of Satan in heaven, he is able to convince a whole third of the angels with him to make this choice that they too, like him, felt like there was something better than to worship God. Well, the Bible says that there's a war in heaven. Essentially, we skip on in the story. Satan's been kicked out of heaven with the third who felt like they didn't need to worship God either. And now he's been assigned that he can no longer hang out with God in heaven. He has lost his position, never again to be like God, never again to have this opportunity to be in the presence of God. But hear me clearly, Satan uh, is now... In enjoying or or wandering about rather his new life out of the presence of God and he begins to look at God and all of a sudden he looks at God doing something in some dirt he looks at God playing in dirt like Plato and he thinks that God is just having playtime and all of a sudden God forms a structure called the Adam or the first human. Satan thought that this was God's playtime until all of a sudden there was this force that shook the earth when the Adam all of a sudden went from being Plato to play whole and uh, he stood up because the Bible says that God breathed into man and man became a living soul. Now you don't understand how glorious that is until you realize that Satan is now watching something that has the same life that he once enjoyed. The DNA of God is now in some dirt when Satan lost it. Can I tell you that the reason why Satan is so upset with you is because God took what belonged to Satan at one point and wrapped it up in some dirt and said you take what he wasn't able to handle. Oh I wish you knew that what the devil has against you ain't really about you. It's because you took his spot. You're nothing but dirt but God decided to put his DNA on the inside of you and that's why he's so against you because you possess inside of you what he lost and God has given you chance after chance after chance to be in the presence of God and so Satan says I will dedicate my life to getting back at him by trying to kill the dirt that he decided to take my place so then you have an adversary whose goal is to get back at God by thwarting you. So what is interesting is, hear me clearly, I'm going to go to a text. What is interesting is, watch this. Satan's frustration is now, he was an angel, possessed these wonderful qualities, has been kicked out of heaven, has been demoted, and now God puts in some dirt his DNA. So watch me. When he wants to destroy you, what he does is gets you to look at your dirt not your DNA. Let me say it again. I'm going to go to text. He's upset that God has given you. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's why the enemy's upset. You got to understand it's not personal. You have the treasure of God, of the gospel of his son, Jesus, in dirt. And the devil has a hard time reconciling how dirt gets to hold treasure. Devil had a hard time putting together why your dirt gets to hold God's treasure. So what he does is he comes to you and shines light and emphasis on your dirt instead of allowing you to be reminded of your DNA. These beautiful, gorgeous features that I have that you see standing before you, though they be incredibly handsome, they are not who I am. This just my dirt. Look at somebody next to you and tell them, don't let my dirt fool you. Don't let my dirt fool you. This is just my dirt. This is just my dirt. It's cute dirt, but it's just dirt. It's, it's made up dirt, but it's just dirt. It's got, it's got a good weave on it, but it's just dirt. I, it's dirt that done lost 20 pounds, but it's, it's still dirt. It's dirt that got his nails done, but it's still dirt, fam. This ain't who I am. I am the spirit of God on the inside of me. So what you have to take into 2019 is a revelation of who God is, a revelation of who you are, and a revelation of the ways in which the devil wants to use your dirt against you, okay? If you're taking notes, write that down, and I'm going to start moving into a text here. The three things you need to take with you into this next year, and all this is intro so I can set up what I want to talk to you about today. Three things you take into 2019 is you need to know who God is. The farther we go in the spectrum of history forward, 
the more anchored the people of God need to be in their knowledge of God. Because you're going to have more voices trying to convince you that God is something or someone that he's not. And so if we are not anchored in what we believe, we will be thwarted by the just the pure number of voices alone. There are so many voices, so many theologies, so many ideas, so many approaches. You have to know who God is, number one. Number two, which you'll take it with you, you need to know who you are. Many of us fall because we are more knowledgeable about our dirt than we are the DNA of God in us. If we really understood who we were, then we wouldn't have the same desire for certain things. If we really knew who we were, we wouldn't spend the same time doing the same things. We stay in the same things not because of any other reason besides we don't know who we are. I think sometimes we try to break people and things out of addictions by focusing on the behavior. But that's not what does it. What does it is you need to focus on the identity. That person only pursues that addiction, that relationship, or that process because it provides some sense of identity that they did not have before they went into it. So you need to know who God is. You need to know who you are. And number three, you need to become aware of how the devil likes to use your dirt, your flesh, who you are, against you. Let's work. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, fam. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's go to verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Watch verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10. I love this. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But watch this. But God is what? Faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to what? Bear it. I'm going to read this again. Verse 12. Any of you all who think that you're exempt from this message, you take heed lest you be the next person to stumble. There hath no temptation, no sin, no issue taken you that you are facing, but such as is common to man. Everybody been through it. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. The purpose is that you may be able to bear it. Here's my subject for this morning's sermonic presentation for these next few minutes. I have you. In 2019, I want you to learn how to find the escape route. The word for next year, find the escape route. For these next few moments, I want to talk to you about that. Find the escape route. In working for Disney two years now, I have grown and developed a real intense attention to safety. You'd be surprised how much time and money and energy and effort is spent on paying attention to safety. And safety is annoying when you don't know how much danger you're really in. Safety is annoying until you realize how much stuff could go wrong if we're not prepared. And what is interesting is, because it's cumbersome, because it can be annoying, most of us ignore safety messages and then are upset when we're unprepared on how to deal with danger. Oh, I, 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 I know you won't admit it, but we've all been that person when you're about to get on a ride And they're saying, hey, I need you to pull on that tab for me. I need you to pull on that tab and make sure that seat is buckled in. We've all been like, if you don't just start the ride, I'm ready to go. I done buckled it in. What you need to see for? We've all been that person who fell asleep on a flight while they were talking about the safety demo. I've flown before. I don't need to know this. I'm just about to eat my McDonald's breakfast and and go on. Folks that be in the air be giving their whole heart, all the training that went into teaching you how to be prepared, and you, because danger is not imminent, are just going to ignore the message of safety. But hear me clearly. What every one of these institutions understand is that it is knowledge that guarantees your safety. Why? Because even if the structure was built safe, sometimes the best insurance of safety you can have in a thing is knowing how to get out of it. Let me say it again. Sometimes the best safety you can ever get in a thing is the knowledge of how to get out of it or what to do when it goes wrong. 
We are positioned in a moment where 2019 is going to take us on a flight. We are going to be propelled from ground. We have been cleared for takeoff. This is our moment. There is a pilot who's in control, and there have been some weather delays of 2018 that have prevented us from being able to go to where we can go, but we are clear. The sky is clear. Our destination is clear, and we have clear communication with God who is up in the tower, but there are some things you must know about safety that even though we're on this flight, and even though we've got an amazing captain, we still might hit some turbulence along the way, and there still might even be some, some moments where we might get into danger. But I've just come to let you know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul wants you to know that no matter how dangerous it gets, there is an escape route. But for many of us, we pay attention to the danger instead of paying attention to the way of escape. Let me unpack what temptation means. This is the Princeton Parker working definition for temptation. Would you write this down? A simple definition is this. And I'll unpack the actual Greek meaning. But a simple definition for, for our framework is this. Temptation is when desire meets opportunity. It's a simple working framework for temptation. I'll move into the, the, real, the deeper definition in a second. Temptation is when desire meets opportunity. Remember, Satan's desire against you is to come against your dirt so that he might ensnare you and get revenge against God. All right? He does this by causing desire to meet opportunity. If I want something, but don't have access to it, not really temptation. For example, if I have a desire for Krispy Kreme donuts, but ain't one near me, it's a craving, but not a temptation. Why? Because I don't have an opportunity to act. Now, if there is a Krispy Kreme next door to my house, but I don't like them, it's not temptation. Because I have opportunity to get one whenever I want, but I don't like them. But if I like Krispy Kreme and ain't a mess around and put one, uh, I mean, even five miles around my house is one off the 110 exit uh, Artesia. Okay. I was just there last week in Jesus' holy name. If I like it and I have the opportunity to access it, I now exist in the realm of temptation. The first piece of work that you must do to find the escape route is you must find the points in your life where desire and opportunity intersect. I want you to write that down. In order to find the escape route, you must first unpack the areas in your life where desire and opportunity intersect. I want you to open this up to process for what it means for your life. I think Whenever we start to talk about temptation, we think about like, you know, church people think about the three sins, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's like, no, 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 there, there are way more temptations than that. I want to talk to you about the temptation. For some of us, you are in relational struggles with a family member, a brother, a sister, a child, a father, mother, whatever. And you've hashed out what your original issue was long ago, but you still struggle with the temptation of holding them to that every time you see them. You said you've forgiven them, but every time you interact with them, your mind still views them through the lens of what happened with y'all four, five, ten years ago. So you have a temptation to move against God's command for you to love those he's placed in your life. Why? Because you have a desire to hold a grudge and you have an opportunity to do that. You have an opportunity to stay bitter by making it about what somebody else did, even though you already unpacked it years ago. So you need to find out where desire and opportunity intersecting your life regarding that situation. When do you start to feel yourself reflecting on that? Because let me tell you something. When you start fighting with people, when you start going into things where you're having relational conflict, where you're saying stuff you got no business saying, or let me, let me get the other, the other type of conflict handlers in the room. I want to talk to people like me, conflict avoiders. What you do is you punish people with disengagement. When you feel some type of way about them, you pull yourself away and punish them with your silence. You know they desire a relationship, so you manipulate them by pulling away. It's a temptation to be hateful. That's the dirt. So when your desire to punish people intersects with your opportunity because they like relationships, so you know it would really hurt them for you not to say anything, you're now existing in the realm of temptation. For some of you, the temptation is not a sin of commission. It's a sin of omission. For some of us, our greatest sin of 2018 has been procrastination. I am so sick of this, I'm about to spirit. And I've even made a commitment to myself to just stop announcing stuff. 
Like, our generation loves announcements, man. We just love, like, we love announcements. We love to announce when we're not going to be on social media. We love to announce when things are going to turn around. And then nobody did nothing, dude. Like, nobody's done anything. You're going to face temptation to stare at what God is asking you to do in the face and ignore it. Watch this. Watch this. Watch how the enemy works. The desire is, I'm afraid, I don't want to do this. The opportunity, this is, how, this is how crazy it is, can oftentimes come in the form of something good for you to distract yourself with. So now I don't want to do what God is telling me. That's my desire. And my opportunity is I could just go do this instead. God says, pray. My desire is I don't want to pray. My opportunity is the kids need me. And now you're in the realm of temptation. God says, leave that situation. It is toxic for you. My desire is I don't want to leave. I want to stay. So then the opportunity becomes, how's that person going to feel if you leave? They're not going to make it without you. And meanwhile, God is saying, that person was never your responsibility. You got to let that child go. You got to let that person go. You got to let that job go. But whenever desire meets opportunity, you're in the realm of temptation. Does that make sense? The how is you have to spend time unpacking what's my desire and where has the enemy created an opportunity? I think sometimes we spend so much energy as Christians celebrating the things we have no desire for so that we can get Christian points. Lord, I've been saved and I ain't never had a drink of alcohol. You don't like alcohol. You don't get points for that. Yay, super Christian. You don't like the smell of it. Let me talk to somebody that like dark liquor, that like the taste of it. Let me talk to somebody who just enjoys Hennessy on the rocks at night just as a casual sip. And let me talk to them about how long it's been. And then we'll be talking about some, some discipline. When desire meets opportunity, you exist in the realm of temptation. Can I take this deeper before we go? That's surface level. Okay, let's go deeper. Write this. Uh, well, no, don't write this down. <laughs> the Greek word for temptation is parasmos. Everybody say parasmos. The Greek word for temptation is parasmos. Watch this. It really means a trial testing, or I loved this word when I saw it, a proving the real definition according to the Greek understanding. I gave you my framework for just how you can understand temptation on a surface level. According to the word that Paul was using in the Greek, it means testing, trial, or proving. Every time you are tempted, it is to prove you. Both people involved on opposite ends of the temptation want to prove something about you. Let's take it full circle. Satan on his end of your temptation has sent it because he wants to prove that you're nothing but dirt. God, in allowing the temptation, we're going to go to James in a minute. The Lord never tempts, but he allows the temptation. God, in his allowing of the temptation, wants to prove that you are his. He wants to prove his DNA on the inside of you. And every time you go through a situation of temptation and of testing and of trial, God gives you an opportunity to prove one of them right. So instead of looking at your temptation by the lens of how weak you feel, look at it as that this is your opportunity to prove God right. This is your chance to prove what he has spoken about you all along. This is your chance to prove that, that you are the righteousness of God. It's already true, it's already settled, it's already established, but this is your chance to prove through your actions that you are whole. This is your chance to prove through your actions that you really do forgive. This is your chance to prove through your actions that you really do want a fresh start. It means trial or proving. God is trying to prove me. He's trying to prove me mature. He's trying to prove me able. He's trying to prove me whole. He's trying to prove me capable. Here are a few reasons why you're tempted. You're tempted because both sides have something to prove in you. You're tempted as well because you have a flesh, the dirt of you, your physicality. And a part of being born and existing in the world means that my body has communication. It has interaction with the stuff around me. That's the way I can exist in the world. I, I couldn't exist without a body. I needed something to be housed. This is why even Jesus, the Savior, has existed before time. But when it was time for him to come down to earth, he said, prepare me a body. Why? Because I need the suit that I need in order to interact with earth. Now, because I have that suit, that means that I am susceptible to feeling. I have feelings. I have the flesh to exist in the world, but that flesh is drawn towards the earth. It's drawn to the environment, and it's drawn to itself. In secular circles and social science, we would call this the law of self-preservation. 
This is why Paul says, I find it a law in my members that what I would do, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do in my spirit, that's what I end up doing. Why? Because my flesh has a desire to move and work for itself. So I'm tempted because I'm existing in this flesh suit that will not be saved. This is the reason why in heaven I will get a glorified body. Because this physicality that I'm living in right now does not have the possibility in its corruption to be saved. This is why the Lord will give me a glorified body. This is why Paul says, I will take off corruptible and put on in. I will eventually get to the point where I'm not in this flesh that gets tempted. That's why I can't wait for heaven. I won't even know what it is to have desire for wrong and opportunity because my body, the glorified body I will have in heaven will not be wired for that. Two or three rather in this case. Reasons why you're tempted. Because when you're tempted, it reveals your allegiance. It reveals what you want at that point. This is why sin is so powerful because it reveals that there are certain moments where we just want stuff more than we want God. We want to be mad more than we want God. We want to be in charge more than we want God. Watch this. We want to be right more than we want God. I can tell you how many people just you just can't tell them anything. Like you, just, you just can't tell them. Like Everything you tell them, they either already know or they already did or they was just teaching you that. It's like, well, good luck. You, you and your life and all your knowledge, <laughs> blessings to you, okay? Temptation will reveal that in those moments when I give in to sin, I'm showing that at that moment, I wanted that thing more than God. So God continues to allow these moments for us again to prove, to show like you are my choice. God is worshiped most in your choices. Whoa, write that down. God is worshiped most in your choices. The Lord has convicted me a great deal about this this year. As your worship leader here, what I do on that keyboard and behind the mic is not my highest form of worship to God. It's great. He receives it. It has a place, but it is not the highest form of worship. Why? Because it is possible to do ministry, to use your gift, to name the name of the Lord and still not choose him. There will be those who in that day say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do this X, Y, and Z? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Your choices intimately did not reveal that you loved me. Every temptation is only a backdrop for a choice. Every temptation is only a backdrop for a choice. Let me move on so I can get this to you before we're out of time. Paul says that there are a couple of things about that you need to know about temptation. Yes, the enemy has it against you. Yes, he's mad that God put DNA in your dirt. Yes, he's mad. Yes, he wants to get revenge against God by taking you over, but that's not what you need to reflect on. What you need to reflect on, number one, is verse 12, which is this. Paul says, let anyone who thinks that he's above falling hear this message specifically. Let those who believe that they are so strong. In other words, he's saying, never allow your own anointing to deceive you. Never allow your talent to deceive you. Never allow the way that relationship is right now to deceive you. Paul says, you take heed lest you be the next one to fall. Why? Because he says in verse 13, there has no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. I love that he does this because what Paul is doing is he is breaking the bondage of loneliness. He's breaking the bondage of shame. So many of us don't move forward into doing and being what God called us to do because we think we're the only person struggling with that particular thing. You're not the only person with a teen who's been mad at them. You're not the only person whose marriage has failed. You're not the only person who has had sex before marriage. You're not the only person who's lost their job. You're not the only person that has done something dishonest. You're, you're not the only person that has questioned your existence. You're not the only person that has wanted to end your life before. You're, you're not the only person that has carried on an argument too long. You're not the only person that's been violent. You're, you're not the only person that's been drunk before. You're, you're not the only person. Paul says, listen, I, if I am a human being, if I am somebody, I've passed under this grace, but don't let the grace fool you. Underneath the grace, underneath the blood of Jesus, I've suffered it just like you. Look at somebody around you and say, I've been through it too. I've been through it too. I've been through it too. Don't let my church fool you. Don't let my attire fool you. 
Don't let this mic fool you. Don't let how long I've been saved fool you. Don't let my degree fool you. I have been through it too. Every thought that you are thinking right now, every question that you've had, every dumb idea you've considered, I've been through it too. And what the enemy wants you to feel like is that because that was so insane for you that nobody else has done it. It might have been the lowest you've gone, but it has not been the lowest that humanity has gone. And I just came to free somebody from the shame that you are not the only one. I don't know who needs this, but God sent me to tell you that you've got to know in 2019 that you are not alone. This is your season to come. Oh, yes, Lord. This is your season to come out of the darkness. Come out of hiding and you better learn how to ask for some help. Come out of hiding and learn how to worship again. Come out of hiding and learn how to say, I know somebody in here has struggled with this too. And if the Lord did it for you, then I've got enough faith to believe that if I keep on trusting him, he's able to keep me from falling and to present me faultless before the presence of his glory. I've been there too. I've been there too. I've been there too. I've been there too. This is why the Bible says that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Because when you testify to me about what God has done for you, it lets me, oh God, I feel that's, oh, whoa. Mm. Matriarchs and patriarchs of families, this is the season to uncover secrets. Whoa, I feel that in me so strong. Whoa. So much of what young people struggle with is because they don't know that it's been in their bloodline for four generations and they're getting high right now. Not because God is not able, but because nobody sat them down and said, baby, let me tell you how all of us have been abused. And, mm, Lord Jesus, there are some of you that are using the other person as an excuse for why there's not deliverance taking place. You're blaming where they are and what they're doing and what they're going through. And God said, you're the one with the Holy Ghost. The responsibility to break generational curses has never been of the person in the curse but it has always been the responsibility of the one that has the curse-breaking power on the inside of them. Will you lift your hands right now? I release over you an anointing to have difficult conversations. I release over you. I release over you an anointing to pull people aside and say, hey, we haven't talked in a minute, but let me share with you my testimony. Everything you're going through right now, I went through it, and I didn't handle it the best way, and you can do it better. Let me tell you what I wish I had done. Let me tell you how I wish I had handled that. I I release a spirit of apology. I release a spirit of forgiveness. I release a spirit of conversation. And we are going to talk about it. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be horrible. It's going to feel, but on the end, but on the other side of it, it's going to be wholeness. On the other side of it, it's going to be healing. On the other side of it, it's going to be curses broken. I release you in the spirit to shed the light on it. Sin lives in the dark. My deliverance with pornography did not begin until I said something. And I found out that eight of the ten pastors that mentored me struggled with it. The moment I shared that with my mother to say, this is what I've been going through. Couldn't tell you because I was ashamed to let you down. But when that happened, I was able to be free. I was able to move forward in wholeness. Reason why your temptation keeps living is because you love to live in the dark. And here's a, here's a messed up part. The enemy will make you think that your silence is protecting you when in actuality is keeping you bound. I've got to move. Give me five minutes to work with this here and we're going to be out. I have to give you some demonstrations of the how. He says, no temptation has taken you except as is common, as is common to man. But God is faithful. Let me tell you what that means. That means that God is not out for your destruction. This is why, write, write, write the scripture down. I don't have time to unpack it. Write down James 1 and go read that in your spare time. I love the book of James. It has quickly become my favorite book of the Bible. James 1 says that let no man say when he is tempted that he is tempted by God because God does not tempt any man. In other words, God doesn't set anyone up for failure. If he allows the temptation, it is because he believes the best in you. It is because he, wow, whoa. Let me correct your, this, this foul theology that we've developed. The amount of temptation in your life might not be a representation of how flawed you are. It might represent how truly anointed you are. 
because God allows all these things to prove what he believes about you. So that means the number, I, oh my word, I just challenge you to start looking at all your situations in 2019 that way. When something comes up against you, um, Lord, you must really think I'm patient for all these people trying to try me. You must really think I'm a good businessman for me to have no money in all these bills. You must really think I am such an intelligent communicator to put me in this situation where I want to cuss. You must really think some nice things about me, Jehovah. And I'm going to prove you right today. I'm going to prove you right. Now, I'm done. I've preached my time away. He says, he will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape. I'll spend my last four minutes doing this. Write this down, Genesis 2. I'm going to give you four very, very, very quick scenarios and may help you find where the way of escape was, okay? Remember, the title of this message is Find the Escape Route. I'm preaching this because I have personal experience in the past of not finding the escape route. <laughs> and I got trapped in that building and I almost burned with it, okay? Had <laughs> the Lord not delivered me. So what you have to do is you have to develop the strength to identify the way of escape before you go into a situation, before you even go into it. The problem is we wait until danger to create a strategy. The problem with that is when you're in danger, because we live in a mode of self-preservation, your mind is not clear enough to have a strategy. I oftentimes think if something actually happens on the plane, do you know how out of my mind I would be? <laughs> like, even when I do pay attention and I like to listen because, you know, work has made me pay attention to safety. I'd be like, man, if something happened, I'd just be like, Jesus! <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> Let me tell you this story. I don't have time for stories, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, I was riding in the car with my cousin, who I love. She's from the Bay. And she was with us when we was young. And she was sitting in the front, she was sitting in the front seat, and um, she had her hand out the window. <laughs> this precious child of God um, rolled up the window, <laughs> and her hand was in it. <laughs> and so she was like freaking out for like a cool three minutes. She was like, guys, my hand is in the window. Stop the car. And we're cracking up because she's so in this thing of panic, she don't realize that the same hand that she used to roll the window up is the same one <laughs> that will roll the window down. But when you are in danger, you lose clarity. And so, so many of us wait till we get in that moment at the holiday dinner. We wait till we get in that meeting at the church. We wait till we get to that job. And then we like, well, Holy Spirit, help me. No, no, no. You needed the Holy Spirit to help you strategize in clarity, fam. Okay, I have to move through this. In Genesis 2, we see the story of Adam and his sin. His way of escape. And I was going to do this as an exercise before I completely wasted my time. I was going to ask you, we were going to unpack these stories, and I would have asked you where you saw the way of escape. But I'll just kind of give you the answers. We'll do the quick version. Adam and Genesis 2, right? Desire was not the fruit. The desire was we want to know what else we don't know. That is what the enemy appealed to, right? They're a desire to know about the alternative. Their opportunity was the fruit. Here's your desire. Here's this lovely treat that you can eat to attain that. The way of escape, one of them could have been, Adam could have spoken up to his wife or for his wife. I think one of the greatest sins of Genesis is not Eve's eating, it's Adam's silence. So sometimes the way of escape is that you talk to someone who is also familiar with the call of God on your life. I personally disagree with the philosophy that Eve wasn't aware. Bishop taught me this, that the Bible says, uh, male and female created he them. And he commanded them be fruitful and multiply. So I firmly believe that they each had a grasp of God's call. So Adam could have spoken up, and that could have been their way of escape, right? That just if Eve had been hearing another voice besides Satan's at that time, she could have made a different decision. So one of the ways of escape for you might be, who do you call either before or during a crisis? Who knows the call on your life, right? So I'm going to my family's house. I don't like so-and-so. Typically, we argue around this time, especially when they get drunk. I'm going to call so-and-so on the way and say, hey, girl, I'm about to go into this environment. Talk me through it. And I'll be like, okay, remember what we said? We're praying, like, don't say a whole lot of words. Like, be kind. Go in the other room where you need to. You see what I'm saying? Because now you have another voice in your head that's going to remind you about God. That's not the one reminding you about the circumstance you're about to go up into. Write this down, 2 Samuel 11. We're done. This is the story of David and Bathsheba, right? A really bad one, a really bad one. And the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man in pursuit of God's own heart, right? Uh, it was very hard that he fell the way that he did. 
But the way of escape for him is found in the way that um, this is called a narrative is this story type in the Bible. The Bible has different writing forms in it. And Second Samuel is called the narrative style. It is a story. And the story opens by saying, usually in the times when kings go to battle, right? So it's already setting us up to understand that David is not where he usually should be. So his way of escape could have been, he could have stayed on his post to go to battle with the men like he was supposed to. So one of the ways of escape might be to be careful with your idle time. Find out what times you're most, most idle and or most vulnerable and structure those times. Structure, create a game plan. I know that typically when I have a day off and don't have to clock in for work, that's when my eating habits are the worst. That might be your thing, right? So now you're going to structure that. You're going to say, I'm going to specifically go to lunch with so-and-so, or I'm going to meal prep now, not for work, because I'm typically good. I'm going to meal prep for when I have a day off so that I'm not tempted to go to Taco Bell Jack in the Box. I know that I have stuff I've cooked in the refrigerator. When you have planned for your idle time, when you know those downtimes where you should be doing something else, you can ward yourself against the temptation of the enemy. Had David just been doing his kingly responsibilities, he wouldn't have even been there when Bathsheba was doing what she was regularly supposed to be doing. Bathsheba was not the one that initiated that, and I have Bible to prove it. It was David not being where he was supposed to be. Bathsheba is not a co-equal partner in affairs, and I have Bible to prove that. She is someone who was preyed upon because David was somewhere he was not supposed to be. Uh, Judges, chapter 16. Judges 16 is the story of Samson. Okay, read that in your spare time. We all know this. He was talking to Delilah. She found out the secret to his hair after asking him, or the secret to his strength after asking him four or five times. His way of escape is that he could have found rest in another place. The trap of Delilah was not attraction, it was rest. He felt like in her... He could not be who he was supposed to be in God. So in his pattern of resting, I just need a moment. I just need a moment where I'm not. He was vulnerable enough. And it's not that you can't rest with people. It's that you have to rest with people who value your anointing. You have to rest with people who want the same things as you. Or else you might have two different ideas of what rest is. Their idea of rest might compromise what God is doing for you. In order to do that, you have to know the things that you run to when you're tired. Most of us know about our strengths. We know about our favorite color. We know about what we like and what we want to wear, but we don't know enough about what we run to when we're tired. John chapter 13, I promise I'm leaving. John chapter 13 reveals that Judas already had it in his heart to betray Jesus when they were at the dinner. When they were at the dinner before Judas betrayed Jesus, he could have talked it over with the other disciples. He could have pulled one of them away. He could have even pulled Thomas, right? Because Thomas was one who who didn't believe after. So he might've been somebody who wouldn't have been as hard on him. Like Peter probably would have like cussed him clean out. Like Judas, what you think you're doing? Jesus ain't been nothing but good to us. You know, but he could have pulled like Simeon or like Judas or like Thomas. Right. And it would have been probably a little easier. Like, Oh, they offered you how much bro? Like, Oh, maybe we shouldn't do that. Right. He could have talked it over with the other disciples. Luke chapter four. How did Jesus deal with it? Jesus dealt with it in Luke chapter four by cutting off the devil's words with the word of God. He resisted, he corrected, because remember where we started, what you know about God and what you know about yourself and what you know about the devil is what you're going to take into this next year, right? That's how you find the escape route. He used those words of God against Satan. Now watch this. He did not converse with Satan about the temptation. He conversed with him about the word of God. Every time I've talked with the devil about the temptation, I have fallen. Because that was pretty convincing. It's a pretty convincing fella. He really is. And every time I've engaged him, oh, I'm not trying to do that today. I, I said I wasn't going to do that. Oh, God. Well, you know, Princeton, you've been good for a long time now. I, I think, watch this, I think you deserve it. Nobody will know. The Lord will forgive you, and he will. God, Jesus doesn't engage with Satan on that level. He says, let's talk scripture, because this is what I know about God, what I know about myself, and what I know about how you tempt me. Have you been blessed this morning? Everybody stand. Let me pray over you. Don't you dare go into 2019 being afraid. And there it is, fam. Wow. Let me tell you something. After I'd listened to that, <laughs> this was one I was just like, bro, we got to take the L. <laughs> This was one where after that sermon, I looked at my own life and I was like, 
yeah, 2019, we took the L on this one. And what I mean by that is not setting boundaries to guard against that desire meets opportunity thing. And it's a wonder. A lot of people say what they won't do, but you don't know what you won't do until you are in a position of life. Like, I think that desire piece, one thing that I didn't talk about in the sermon that um, that I wish I would have unpacked is that sometimes your desire is shaped by the season that you're in. Like, have you ever met somebody who wasn't cute until you had just reached a season of heartbreak and all of a sudden they was cute? You know, <laughs> you know, like in your season of wholeness, you're like, ill. But, <laughs> but under the right pain element, you're like, well, let me just hit you up because I know you would. Okay. You don't want to be real. That's fine. It's okay. It takes all of us some time to be able to be transparent. Different seasons. There might have been substances that that didn't interest you at a time. You might have not been a clubber or a partier. You might have not been somebody who would do anything for money or whatever that might be. But in the right season, in the right season of lack, pain, frustration, whatever that might be. And so I saw myself looking at different ways to cope this year and things that I wouldn't have turned to before I did. People I wouldn't have turned to before I did. And hearing this sermon sobered me. It literally allowed me to have my own reset moment to go, you know what, Princeton, you've got to brace yourself. And in some senses, God was showing me, God was exposing what my heart had an inclination to that I didn't know about before he elevates me. And so it's a good lesson for you to be able to see what your heart has a taste for that you just might not know or what your flesh has a taste for, whatever that might be. But then you've got to do the work and say, I need to protect myself because if I don't, giving in to temptation only creates bigger problems down the road. It might seem like it's a quick fix, like it is satiating some need for rest, affirmation, love, fun, whatever that might be. But in the long run, it always, always, always creates bigger problems. And I want God, to, I want to be proven right. I want to be proven um, in terms of what God believes in me, which is that I have in me what it takes to stand. So I hope this message blessed you if it did please let me know. Hit me up. Follow me Instagram uh, at Princeton Parker, Twitter at Princeton Parker, Facebook at Princeton Speaks. Hit me up on info at PrincetonParker.com or buildingwithprinceton at gmail.com, whichever one sounds fancier to you. And uh, I would love to be in touch. Last but not least, if you can, it helps me tremendously when you rate uh, and subscribe to the podcast. So thank you so much. Listen, 2020 is our year. It, we said that every year, but no, I really, <laughs> I really believe this. And here's what it's our year for. It's not the year where everything is going to magically come together. It could be, but we can't promise people that. It is going to be the year where we take what we've learned and we apply it. That's it. If we do that, what is in our control, then the rest we leave up to God. So with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation, keep building.